Welcome to the Axial Podcast. Axial is an early-stage investment firm based in San Francisco. We partner with great founders and inventors investing in early-stage life science companies often when they are no more than an idea. Axial is fanatical about helping the rare inventor who is compelled to build their own enduring business. Hey, War. Okay, Bassem, let me make you a moderator. All right, yes, sounds I'm good. Sure. Hey, Bassem, how are you? How's your day Hello. been? Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, hello. Okay, cool. Let me do the introductions, and then we can kind of get to it. Um, okay. Yeah. Thanks, for everyone, for showing up today. I have a, a really awesome guest, uh, uh, Bassem uh, Al-Shayeb uh, from the University of California, Berkeley, and he's a a graduate student in uh, the Jill Banfield lab and the, and also Jennifer Downer's lab jointly, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, that's correct. And so uh, Bassem is the lead author and he's wrapping up his thesis. Um, I, I just got a text from my friend Rishi <laughs> that you just, uh, he's happy that you showed up and it works this time. But uh, uh, Bassem was the lead author on some really awesome preprint uh, discovery, I think called Borgs, which we're going to discuss today. And he's wrapping up his thesis. And so, uh, yeah, really excited just to talk to you and learn more about Borgs and kind of the future directions and the whole story, too. So maybe maybe to start off, maybe a quick introduction on you and your career, and then we can kind of dig in deep. Yeah, and yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be talking about this work. Um, so I'm currently a fifth-year um, NSF fellow at the UC, um, UC Berkeley conducting research with um, Jill Banfield and Jennifer Doudna. And the sort of theme of my thesis so far has been the discovery of um, new types of mobile elements, so new groups of viruses, um, things like Borgs, um, and also sort of um, developing new genome editing tools that could have applications in human health or agriculture or um, even diagnostics. Um, so really, for me, the most exciting part um, has been the sort of basic science discovery through um, sort of curiosity-driven exploration of the world that we live in and then evaluating how those discoveries could be used as um, useful tools for society. Um, so, yeah, the latest of that has been this um, Borg um, paper that was really part of work that we stumbled upon um, while conducting research on these giant phages and different CRISPR systems. Um, cool. I mean, maybe to, maybe to like set the stage first, I think it's always important to not only understand the science, but the, the person who discovered, did the science. And so what, what kind of got you interested in biology in the first place? Uh, yeah, so for me, initially, I, I've always been fascinated with how different things in biology work. Um, obviously, I'm you know, a big fan of tech and um, computational work, which is the basis of a lot of the work that I do. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, nature has been... Um, to me, the most fascinating um, tech, just because it's evolved for billions of years in ways that um, we could never have imagined. 
Um, and for me, it's really rewarding to discover mechanistically how different things work in the natural world. Um, so actually my physics teacher in high school was really sad about me not going into physics and engineering and going instead into biology. Um, because I, I, I really enjoyed obviously physics and engineering and that's why I have still stuck with synthetic biology, but, um, you know, biology still has always been my, my passion. Um, and so I did my undergrad at university of Minnesota studying, um, genetics, cell biology and development, and also a major in microbiology, um, with a minor in philosophy, um, looking at, you know, philosophy of science and, you know, how we interpret different kinds of data. Um, so all of that has sort of culminated in the role that I have now, um, doing a PhD in microbiology at, at UC Berkeley, um, on these different topics. Cool. It seems like you're just a really well-rounded person, <laughs> physics, philosophy, and biology. And, you know, did you go to, you know, you have the NASA logo as your, in your background, you know, did you kind of go to space camp as a kid or what was kind of some formative, <laughs> <laughs> what was some for, were there any like formative scientific experiences? You mentioned the physics teacher, um, kind of being a, being a mentor and guiding you, but was there any kind of like, uh, uh, like formative experience that said, I'm going to be a scientist? Um, I mean, space and astrobiology has, have also, also been, you know, big passions of mine. Um, I worked for a little bit, um, during undergrad and after undergrad for a bit at NASA Ames Research Center with, um, their space biosciences division. Um, so I worked in April Ronka's lab where, um, they study sort of that the theme is sort of future generations in space. So how, um, space flight conditions could affect um, future generations. And for example, um, pregnancy under space flight conditions, pregnancy under um, hypergravity or microgravity conditions, how those things can affect, um, you know, if we end up going to space at some point, how um, we would essentially form a colony how those things would affect um, future generations biologically. Um, so that research, you know, there's a lot of uh, QPCR, ELISA's looking at um, different gene expressions and protein production and things like that under um, spaceflight conditions. And I'm still, you know, in touch with the different scientists that work in that division, um, looking at, you know, future collaborations and stuff. So it's definitely still a big, um, big passion of mine, space biosciences. Cool. That's really awesome. My old mentor, Gary, he, uh, he had this project. I don't know if he's done it yet, but he wanted to send like a nanopore to uh, Mars <laughs> just to see if there's anything to measure. I don't know if that's happened. But yeah, I think totally agree. I think understanding the interplay between biology and space is it's a pretty interesting opportunity. Uh, and so maybe to shift gears a bit, and kind of go towards your experience at UC Berkeley and, and really understand the story of not only, you know, the story of how you discovered Borgs and then the, the meaning of it. Uh, did you ever overlap with like Brian Thomas or uh, Dudu Bernstein at any chance? Um, a couple of months at the beginning of, of my PhD, yeah. Cool. Yeah, Dudu's a great guy. I think he's at the Wiseman now or I think he's a, 
uh, somewhere in Israel, but he's a great guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, cool. And so maybe for the Borgs, what was the kind of the, uh, so you, you enter the lab, what was your project? What was your project? What was the kind of the initial hypothesis that like you, you set upon, uh, and, and that led to ultimately led to Borgs? Um, well, initially I was studying giant phages. Um, so, you know, giant viruses that infect bacteria and from a specific site where, um, it was really a spontaneous decision to sample initially. So we were just in this area that was near, um, Jill's house. And we thought, why not take some samples to sequence and look at in the lab? And that was sort of a very wet bog area um, in a forest that um, we didn't really think twice about. And then once we found that with very deep sequencing that they do have these giant phages, we decided, you know, the next year I'm going to go back and I'm going to collect a lot more samples, try and study these phages a bit more and um, understand really more of the biology that's going on in that, in that environment. And what we found was these giant sequences from the sort of um, computational assemblies of genomes in that sample are these giant sequences that looked more archaeal than bacterial. Um, and for the first you know, few months, we just called it the the archaeal mystery. Um, as I as I finished the sort of giant phage work, um, this was something that I was still trying to figure out: is this a virus? Is this a plasmid? Um, until I found sort of the complete genome, um, that was something that was just like a, a weird sort of artifact um, or something that I you know shelved for a bit until I work on clearer research directions. And then we ended up with a complete sequence um, with more samples from, from the site. And it looked, um, as, as we saw, very archaeal. Um, and that archaea are arguably the most understudied domain of life compared to bacteria and eukaryotes. So really, there are quite a lot of mysteries to to still learn about them. Um, I remember the, you know, I have a folder of most mind-blowing science videos that I've seen. And one of those videos is a video of an archaeal cell that instead of dividing into two cells, it divides into three cells. So it's this like triangular cell that looks like a Dorito and it divides into three daughter cells um which you know blew my mind that's pretty uh, crazy that's pretty crazy <laughs> yeah it's you know in in a folder along with like phage nuclei and different different mind-blowing science things um but these these archaea are very obviously understudied and there's quite a lot there that still needs exploration there's not a lot of like model systems that are studied in labs so and obviously a lot of them are um anaerobic so that was something that i want really aimed for in the second sampling that we did was we got these um tools to dig um really deep holes in the ground and i used that to 
make a make a hole and then stick you know my arm with gloves and stuff all the way you know as far as i could reach with my arm um which was a lot colder than i expected so like for me i'm from cairo from from a city so doing these sort of sampling trips in greenery and forests was really exciting for me and we we i dug my hand as deep as possible to get these um really anaerobic samples with very little oxygen um that were rich in in different archaea um and these archaea specifically that we found to be the borg hosts um that we call methanoperidins these were only recently discovered um and they are known to extract methane from the environment and metabolize it um so as soon as we found this element that sort of had genes similar to the methanoperidins um we thought okay maybe this is like a sibling lineage to the methanoperidins because it's linear and it seemed to have these inverted um repeats at the ends so they didn't look like um they didn't have any viral structural genes they didn't have the canonical plasmid replication genes we thought maybe this is a sibling lineage to methanoperidins especially that it had a ribosomal protein that obviously is used to pr- make proteins in the cell um that ribosomal protein was really similar to the one from methanoperidins as lo- along with other genes that were really similar as well but that was we only found you know one or two ribosomal proteins in the complete genomes which meant that it can't survive by itself as a sibling lineage um and a lot of other genes that you would consider essential for life were also not there um so through a process of elimination essentially we um decided that this was a exochromosomal element of some kind um and then started digging more into into what other genes are encoded there um and there's this you know rich diversity of these methane oxidizing organisms like methanoperidins but right now we don't know fully how to grow them in the lab to study them in depth so um but obviously there's a pressing need for us to study this biology since methane is a greenhouse gas that's you know 30 times more potent than carbon dioxide so it obviously affects climate change in a in a drastic way um and this is you know methane that's produced is through you know transport of coal of natural gas of oil there's obviously a lot from livestock and agriculture and from landfills um but right now all the focus is on capturing carbon dioxide um but even the you know biggest facilities that i know of that are in iceland to capture carbon dioxide they do um i think it was like 4000 tons of carbon dioxide per year um to capture but that negates maybe 3 or 4 seconds of the global emissions um so obviously there's a pressing need to understand um how something like methane is actually um removed from the environment and that's mostly currently done by microbes that we don't really know a lot about um so for exactly. us instead of sorry yep. exactly i think like a big part of it is you know biogeochemical cycles aren't really really well understood and this is what made your research really exciting because then begin to understand how do we integrate microbial cycles with like you know 
these these kind of carbon models of the Earth. But maybe to back it up, could, could you maybe um, describe Borgs? You know, these kind of these large elements. They have these direct repeats. And also, who named? Who it's a great name. Who who came up with the name Borg? <laughs> Yeah, so um, like I said at the beginning, we just called it the Archeal Mystery, um, and it stayed that way for a while. And then um, once Jill was telling her son actually about this research, um, because we found that these Borgs, they're, um, they're linear elements, they're up to a megabase in size, which is a third of the size of their host um, chromosomes. Um, which is, it's pretty massive. It's bigger than any of the giant phages that we described. Um, it's bigger than a lot of, um, small bacteria. Um, so this was, you know, really fascinating to us, but also, like I mentioned, it had a lot of genes from the host. Um, so this, this transfer of genes through horizontal gene transfer from the host, Jill was describing to her son and he just said, oh, so it's like Borgs from Star Trek. Um, because in Star Trek, Borgs are this cybernetic group that needs to assimilate technology from other species, uh, from like a sort of host to keep up their collective. And so we found this to be a really nice analogy with studying these um, linear genetic elements because the majority of the genes that are encoded on the Borg DNA, up to 80% are currently um, unknown we don't know, like it's not similar to anything that we found outside the Borgs and um, obviously nothing characterized in in the lab. And so we figured that this was a chromosomal element, extra chromosomal element of some kind in the methanoparidin cells that seems to assimilate a lot of genes from the methanoparidins. Um, and that includes, for example, the methane oxidation um, group of a cluster of genes. Um, so that's that's how we came up with the board. That's a, that's a great story, I think. <laughs> and so uh, you spent a lot. Of, I mean, I'm sure it was a lot of work, just like legwork, to get the samples and then and then analyze them and then reconstruct uh, uh, these these elements and then really then hone in on saying these these aren't megaplasmids, these aren't these aren't from phages. This is kind of a, something unique. How did you go about? You touched upon this in the preprint around their potential function and you have like a nice little figure about trying to, trying to like, you know, figure out what they actually do in terms of augmenting uh, methane oxidation, but you discovered Borgs. How did you go about then trying to figure out what they do or at least hypothesize what they could do uh, in, in, in the environment? Um, yeah. So once we had the complete genomes, we sort of went through um, and annotated everything as either, you know, something that was new and uncharacterized or as, you know, the 20% of genes that had similarities to existing proteins in, you know, the NCBI database and other um, databases. We um, went through those annotations to try and figure out which processes those genes are part of. Um, and, you know, methane oxidation is one thing that we, we touched on, um, there was also, you know, clusters of genes for nitrogen fixation. Um, so with um, something like, like nitrogen fixation, it's very important in these soils that, we've, that we found them in. And, you know, these are also found in um, different rice paddies and in many different environments. 
Um, and it, so it's nitrogen fixation is very important agriculturally since plants require nitrogen compounds for growth. Um, and they essentially have transferred um, this machinery to their own genome, but also different um, genes, for example, for transferring electrons outside the cell. Um, so the way that they respire is by transferring their electrons to another compound, for example, different metals, something like methane, um, instead of oxygen. So that's a sort of long way of saying that they breathe other things than oxygen. Um, and this was something that, you know, I worked in a lab in undergrad with Jeff Gralnick, who studies this pretty extensively. So it was really rewarding for me to sort of come full circle and um, touch upon those topics of transferring electrons outside the cell um, that, you know, potentially this could be something that um, can be used to generate electricity since electricity, all it is is transfer of electrons, whether it's through a wire to an electrode um, and so on. So these likely enhance their host ability to metabolize different compounds, um, methane and other other um, metals. So that's those are some features that we were most excited about, but they also have different um, defense systems. For example, they have their own CRISPRs. So analogous to um, the discoveries that we made in phages in my previous papers, we found that they have CRISPR systems that target also other mobile elements that um, are integrated in the host genome. So clearly they um, are competing maybe for the host or um, augmenting the host's um, defenses against different mobile elements that would inhabit the same cell. Um, and the other like really fascinating thing that we saw was that different Borgs could also exchange ma genetic material um, with each other and not just with the host. So there are, you know, blocks of 11,000 um, base pairs, for example, that are 100% identical in different Borgs, which implies that those two Borgs probably were in the same host cell at some point, and there was some recombination that happened that transferred um, that piece of DNA. So, and yeah, those are just the things that we already know the functions of, and there's, you know, 80% of the genome is still unknown. So there's a lot still to learn from them. Really cool. When I read the paper, I'm like, my gosh, the SEM has a decade's worth of work ahead of him here. Like you can do so much. There's like, you know, just so much to explore. I remember, I think Jill's lab published a paper in 2016, discovering the first CRISPR system in Archaea. And so I think you're spot on. This is, Archaea is so underexplored branch of life and just probably so much cool biology and tools to be discovered there and so then you, you made yeah, this I mean, even the like first CRISPR like when CRISPR was first described back in the 80s um, a lot of that was from Archaea oh really interesting I thought yeah I thought I, I thought the first CRISPR systems were like from uh, yogurt from Dannon maybe maybe oh, I, no so I, I, that I'm was just... that was the first indication of what CRISPR could be doing but the very first, like when they came up with the word CRISPR, like the discovery of the repeats was back in the 80s um, that included Archaea. Wow, interesting. That's really cool. I didn't know, I did not know that. I need to 
go read up some history. But um, so you made this discovery on Borgs, and then you you did a lot of hard work to infer their function. And now you you know you and the whole lab probably have a probably hard at work right now trying to uh, learn more about these Borgs. Um, but the really exciting part, and you alluded to this, is you know how they can modulate greenhouse gases, in particular methane, and you know microbes play a massive role in like carbon dioxide flux. I think I think it's involved in like at least half. I don't, maybe you can correct me on this of like fixation of carbon dioxide in our environment, but you know microbes play a really pivotal role in uh, carbon cycles, and so maybe you should touch upon maybe. The interplay between Borg's, you know, biogeochemical cycles and <laughs> climate change—it's pretty large space. But do you have any kind of uh, ideas around the potential impact of of Borg's on you know the climate? Yeah, I mean, for right now, we're still even just trying to understand um, what kind of diversity is there for Borg's. Where are they found? Um, why are there, for example, specifically some methanoparadins that have Borgs and some that don't? So obviously, like I said, methanoparadins was very recently described as a species of archaea. Um, but going through that data, we couldn't find any Borgs in their data. Um, so why is it that they exist on the ones, the methanoparadins that we found, but not in somewhere else like Australia? Um, so that there's still a lot to learn with their their impact and their distribution um, across the world. And also this was just the first demonstration of the methane oxidation machinery being able to transfer um, to mobile elements and with that also implying transfer across lineages. Um, so that's something that would be really interesting to explore how much um, of that um, is mobile across different lineages of these um, both archaea and bacteria that tend to metabolize methane. Um, but yeah, really, you're really interesting. Yeah, I think uh, is meta. I, I, I'm really horrible at pronouncing like species names. Um, methan- so C. elegans is such a nice, it's so easy, right, Drosophila, <laughs> but methanoparadins, okay, I got it. Uh, is it a heterotroph, or is it something else? Um, I think it's, it, it's, I think it is a heterotroph. Okay. Um, I don't think there is any evidence of it fixing its own carbon, um, but, yeah. Yeah, because my understanding of, like, how... I took this class in like over a decade, I think a decade ago, a guy named Peter Gurgis. Like, so he's really, he, he's, this oh, yeah. cool, he's, he's awesome. I don't, I, I think he's, I don't know where he's at. I haven't kept in touch with the guy, but he's, he's really, in uh, Harvard. Well, yeah. I know because he's another fellow Egyptian. Oh, he is. Oh, cool, man. He's a cool guy. I think he, he, he used to work at Monterey and then went to Harvard, but uh, he was, he took, I, I took a class of his. I was really fascinated with like microbes in the ocean, right? Isn't that? Isn't, I'm, I'm very, I love history, and so like, I think a very romantic part of biology is like Darwin on the Beagle, you know, you know, rather than being in lab all day, he could be on the ship. Uh, that's much more attractive to me, I think. But um, um, and from understanding of how biogeochemical cycles work, you know, heterotrophs are really involved in oxidation and the 
production of CO2, and then uh, photoautotrophs are really involved in the fixation and maybe production of oxygen. So just something I, I, I'm not, I, I'm so, I've been out of science for so long, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on the cutting edge anymore, unfortunately. But um, yeah, maybe that's the, maybe, maybe there's some sort of Borg's placement element in terms of oxidation and, you know, but to be determined. Um, yeah, I mean, the methanoparadins, I think, would be considered um, like chemolithotrophs. Um, so using like inorganic sources, um, like um, you know, different metals, for example, for respiration. Um, but obviously they also use methane. Interesting. Yeah, so much, so much should be done. Um, and I think not only do great science, but probably go on some really cool adventures because metagenomics, definitely the cool part about metagenomics is you, you get really cool data, but then you get to like go on cool trips. Uh, whoever went to that mercury mine in Napa, that must have been kind of scary. <laughs> be, to be honest, I would have. I, I can see why you didn't want to go to that mercury mine. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> I would have been terrified. Uh, uh, but uh, cool. Maybe then we can kind of then also touch upon, you know, the uh, kind of just searching nature for new inventions. And Borgs is something in nature. And in the, in the beginning of the conversation, you touched upon this of you know. Uh, you know, being fascinated with nature, you know, and nature invented CRISPR. You know, Jill Banfield, you can argue, in, uh, invented or was a key inventor of CRISPR. And her data set uh, was what enabled Jennifer to make her awesome discoveries. I think Patrick Shrew just published some cool papers around integrases. But what, do you have any thoughts around, like, why nature has been such a great inventor? I think, you know, the arms race between phages and microbes seems to be it, but... Um, yeah, any, any thoughts around kind of nature as an inventor? Yeah, I mean, to me, that has always been my um, driving force for, you know, research interests. Um, and that's sort of why I decided I wanted to be co-advised between Jill and Jennifer is Jill has this um, innate curiosity towards nature um, and sort of the discovery of new basic science. And Jennifer is always asking me, you know, so what, how can you use this for something useful? Um, so, so that has been a very um, strong combination in, in my thesis research. Um, and for me, looking at nature, like arms races have always produced some of our best tools um, even something like antibiotics, that's, you know, the arms race of different microbes against each other. Um, the same site where we studied all these um, giant phages and also the, um, the Borgs, the same site um, a colleague of mine was using to look at different antibiotics um, that the preprint um, came out for um, pretty recently as well. Um, and so this, this, you know, plot of dirt near Jill's backyard was really the driving force for, or the, the, the site for a lot of my thesis research and my colleagues' research, um, that it just goes to show that everyone has this sort of universe lurking near them, um, waiting to be explored. Um, and obviously, like, as I said, I'm really excited about, you know, space exploration and astrobiology and all of that. 
but there's also this incredible diversity just here near near all of us that is just waiting to be to be explored um and that's what really excites me about about um microbiology and about science well it's really powerful basem like the next great discovery might just be in your backyard <laughs> that's a great exactly that's a great that's a great line uh <laughs> um anybody in the audience have any questions or around the topic of you know, science and, and borgs please raise your hand uh but maybe to kind of then kind of wrap up this conversation and, and i know you're doing your thesis so i don't want to you know, I don't want to any talk about things that are unpublished, uh, uh, but what kind of new research are you doing? Um, you know, kind of exploring you know Borg research and also maybe you know going beyond Borgs and and, and trying to find new types of elements in in, in these samples. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, a lot of that that work is being done, um, and for me, you know, mobile elements are some of the most fascinating things in biology um, ever since I think Barbara McClintock got um, a Nobel prize for transposons. Um, it's always been, you know, elements that do things somewhat differently um, than life because um, they have this, this selfish need to want to replicate as much as possible and spread everywhere, regardless of, you know, what different um, life forms might have to say about that. Um, and I think that there's a lot of um, untapped tools that can be developed from that. And obviously, that's what I've focused my um, thesis research on. And that's, um, you know, a lot more unpublished stuff that I'm hoping to get out soon as well to, to touch on that. Cool, man. I'll, I'll be... Uh, if you if if you have transcripts, I'll I'll be your first reader. I love reading paper. I, reading, I'm very good at reading papers. I'm not so good at doing the science. So I think I've re- <laughs> I, I seriously. I used to I went to grad school at Berkeley. I I, I could we can go get drinks, but uh, I can tell you my scientific career, and uh, I'm definitely a bad bad at the bench. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think I read your preprint at least ten times. Uh, it's not that long, so it's not that impressive. Uh, but. Uh, what do you think about after grad school? So you're going to wrap up your thesis. Are you thinking about professorship? Are you thinking about, you know, entrepreneurship? Uh, are you thinking about joining NASA and doing space biology? What kind of, uh, what, what do you think your next steps are? Um, I mean, I'm keeping doors open right now. All I know is that I'm really excited about creative um, research to sort of explore the world and come up with, sort of translational tools that could be helpful from that. So whatever context I can do that in is hopefully what I would pursue as my next step. Um, That might mean, you know, academia, um, but I also know that at least in the entrepreneurial space, it seems people are a lot more receptive to, you know, more high-risk, high-reward ideas um, than maybe they used to be. Um, so I'm keeping that option open as well. Cool. Yeah. We live in the age of the inventor, right? So just, if you can invent something new, there's, the money's there. I remember I met Brian Thomas and he has, you think you should start a company or you should, you should join Metagenomi. Uh, that's a really cool company. I should, I met Brian when he started the company and I did not invest like an idiot. I should have invested. 
but Brian's done an incredible job. I think maybe serving as an example. I think he was a he was in Jill's lab for a long time, and now he's a he has an incredible business. So I think I think the I think the future is bright, and I think you're gonna you have a lot of great options. I think Borg's is a real big breakthrough in kind of connecting microbes with our environment. You know, understand the mechanism by which like carbon and nitrogen and you know, various other uh, chemicals are kind of recycled um, because biogeochemical cycles are really underappreciated in, like, climate models. And so if we can kind of, you know, hone in on that, we might have different ways to engineer the environment and they can solve climate change. But awesome. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, any final thoughts? I think I had a great time. Great time. I think... Uh, I think but any final thoughts you want to part to everyone? Um, maybe just that, you know, none of this work would have been possible without sort of curiosity-driven basic research. Like, we didn't really set out to find a tool that might help with climate change, but that sort of came to be from the curiosity-driven research that we did from on other things. Um, and the same can be said about CRISPR, for example, um, where nobody really set out to invent a gene editing tool um, that just sort of happened as we studied why these elements have repeats in them um, and what are these genes that tend to co-occur with the CRISPR, you know, CRISPR-associated proteins that are now Cas proteins. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to be learned from just basic science, I think. Um, if you want to sit and invent something new, it's always a good idea to look at nature and how nature has done it, um, because that took billions of years of evolution, Um yeah, totally agree. I think uh, we're on the same page. Well, but Sam, I, I mean, I had an awesome time talking. I was really just curious to have a conversation with you since you, you know, I, I read your paper a lot, and it was really, I think it's a big, I think it's a massive breakthrough, and it's going to unlock a lot of different elements in terms of like biology and climate. Um, but yeah, send me, when you get your thesis done, send me an email. We'll go for a walk. We'll go to Jupiter, or you know, go for some you know cheese board or something, and. But uh, good luck on the thesis. I think it's you have a lot, you probably have a lot of writing ahead of you. <laughs> how long is your thesis going to be? Is it a hundred pages or three hundred pages or how long? Uh, is it? <laughs> I can tell you, I've already passed one hundred. Jeez Louise, that's a lot. Oh man, how do you edit that thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the struggle. Well, but some get some sleep. And, uh, you know, congratulations on all the success. I'm, I'm, I'm sure the best is yet to come, though. And so I'm really excited to uh, just send me an email, and we'll go for a nice little walk around Berkeley. Uh, but thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And I, I learned a ton, and I, I think we all look forward to kind of what you're going to do next and kind of the impact you're going to have on science and more. So I really appreciate it, everyone. Uh, and, Basem, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That was fun. Cool. Let me, uh, I'll end the room and we'll talk soon, Basem. Well, have a great day. Thanks. You too.